John 11:55 to 12:19 says this. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. They were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, What do you think? That he will come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to, used to help himself to what was put in it. Jesus said, Leave her alone, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. When the large crowd of Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came, not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to him, crying, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it was written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was they had heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that uh, you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the chance to study your word, to proclaim it. God, we pray that you will be with us in this time now, Lord, that um, you will be applying this text to our hearts. Lord, helping us to see Jesus as our King, as our Savior. Lord, thank you for um, just your faithfulness to encourage and challenge us through your scriptures. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A lot of times uh, in group settings or competitive settings, uh, groups of people will look to one individual as as a savior of sorts. Um, And one of those well-known saviors is uh, is a guy who started for the Lakers last night in L.A. called LeBron James. He actually is referenced as as the king. And everywhere he has gone, every team that he has gone to has expected that his presence upon the floor is somehow going to transform this team immediately into the champions of the world. Like, the expectation of his coming to any team is greater than any 
other player that has been there. Now you would compare him to Michael Jordan. People compare, make that comparison. There's no comparison. It's over. Michael Jordan is better than LeBron James. Um, it, yeah, exactly. Everyone agrees with that. Everyone's in, in that. But in terms of the expectation, LeBron James has carried more expectation than anybody has ever carried in the NBA history, I, I would say. Um, and, and a lot of times we look to, in sports and in and many other things, one person to come in and change the game. But the truth is, in, in our human lives, there's like a battle to be fought, right? Like LeBron James doesn't just show up and uh, they win 80 games in the season and go undefeated in the finals. No, like they actually have to go play the games and things happen. Sometimes it's very difficult. In fact, last night it was very difficult. I don't know if anybody heard. Um, his debut in the Staples Center turned into a fight, actually. Anyway, you can look at that later. Um, so expectations aren't always fulfilled, right, in our human uh, condition. And, and today we're seeing a, a greater, much greater, infinitely greater level of expectation with Jesus as he comes into Jerusalem uh, in our text today. Um, and I think what we'll see in this passage, and I think it's true for our lives as well, is that the King Jesus has won even before the battle is fought. <laughs> like, when he arrives, it's over, okay? Like, there's no, once he's there, it's, it's done for. You're ruined, or the situation is ruined, or, or whatever. He has won when he shows up, and I think that is true uh, in, in this text today. We're talking about the king, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, Jesus, the creator of all the earth, the creator of every inch of this city that we here live in. He has won the battle before it's even started. And we're going to see two things about him today. We're going to see him anointed today, and we're going to see him victorious today. And the anointing is actually different than you'd expect in a sort of triumphal entry setting. Anointing um, in the Old Testament often is a, a king being anointed to come and assume a role, uh, to, to take leadership over, over, over Israel. And, and so often the king of Israel will be referred to as the Lord's anointed. And there's great respect for this, even as David is fighting back and forth with King Saul. David himself has such respect for the Lord's anointed because Saul hasn't passed on yet, even though David know he's gonna, knows he's going to be king, that he doesn't take chances to take down this, what others would call his enemy. But he knows this is the Lord's anointed. And so in the Old Testament, we see this picture of anointing being reserved for the king. And here it's a, a little bit different what we see is Jesus has come to um, Bethany. And uh, as we've seen in the past couple chapters, uh, Jesus just recently uh, raised Lazarus from the dead. So a week before the events of this uh, that, are, that we're looking at today, uh, Lazarus has died uh, and then been in the grave for four days and then come back to life. And Jesus sort of went away for a little bit and then came back to Bethany. And so this has all sort of happened since Jesus was last in Bethany. So he comes back and, you know, this is uh, to sort of picture what is happening here. 
they're going to have a dinner for Jesus. So like a thank you dinner, sort of <laughs> like, like this is amazing. Lazarus is still alive. Like you took him out of the grave just a couple weeks ago. And we're in your honor, we're having this dinner. And so uh, chapter 12, verse 1, six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom he had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for Jesus there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table. And what happens there is Mary, verse 3, takes a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anoints the feet of Jesus, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Her understanding of what's happening here is that she, she definitely anointed his feet, but likely he, she actually anointed the entirety of his body from head to toe uh, with this perfume. And why was she doing that? A couple of reasons. She's grateful for what he has done for her brother Lazarus. He's doing it out of worship and gratitude toward what has happened. She also likely sees him as the Christ, as the Messiah, as the anointed one, and is doing so just as in worship and honor toward, you are the anointed one. And I'm showing you with this beautiful action. And now think about the expectation that she would have as, as she may be anointing him with this oil and thinking, you're the king. You're the king of Israel. You are going to lead us. And this is where the trajectory of all this is going. You've done these amazing miracles. You've raised my brother from the dead. All of Jerusalem is coming out to welcome us and thank, you know, and, and celebrate this. What's next? The expectation level is very, very high. But an interesting thing happens, a couple of interesting things. First, Judas gets mad because like, why do you waste all that, uh, all that really expensive oil, a year's worth of wages? Why'd you just pour that out on him? Uh, we could use that for the poor. And you know, it says his motives are sort of shady there. Obviously, he wants to keep it for himself. Uh, but even more interesting than that, I think, is verse seven. Jesus said to her, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. So think about that. I don't, at the end of this passage, it says the disciples don't totally understand what happened until, until he was glorified. And, and I think in Mary's expectation, she's anointing him as a respect out of the, the, the king of Israel and thinking about what the great things that he's going to lead us into as Israel. And what he's saying is, she's anointing me for my burial. He's talking about death, you know, his coming death, and she's thinking about celebration of life. He's anointed here in preparation for his death. Why I say it's sort of both and is that, um, you know, we know that it is through his death that he does conquer. It is through his death that he fulfills his role as the king of Israel and as the king of our hearts. But I don't think that's what she expected. Jesus says, leave her alone that she may keep it for the day of my burial.
at this point, uh, people are beginning to learn that Jesus is there in Bethany. And it says in, in verse 9, a large crowd of Jews learns he's there and come on account not only of him, but also to see Lazarus. And as a result of Lazarus' testimony of like being dead for four days and coming back to life, uh, many people are saying, hey, maybe there's something to Jesus and starting to believe in him. So much so that the chief priests now are uh, making plans to kill not only Jesus, but also to kill Lazarus. The tension in Jesus' life is amazing. You've got this group of people that's trying to kill him, this other group of people that thinks he's going to be king to overthrow Rome, and it's all coming to a head right here. The expectation level is extremely high. And so we come to verse 12 and, and see the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. And um, I'm going to read through it and then explain a few things. Again, verse 12, the next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. And when we say large crowd, what we mean is like millions of people. There are estimates that at Passover, there could be upwards of two to three million people in the city of Jerusalem. So we're talking about large crowds. We're talking about really large crowds. The large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him. Palms uh, are very symbolic. Uh, in, in Ezekiel's picture of, of the coming temple, uh, they're actually carved in all of the walls uh, of, of the interior of, of the temple. So palms are there. And, and at this particular time, they're seen as a nationalistic uh, sort of uh, picture that, that we are going to uh, conquer and we are going to overcome and we are going to be victorious. And uh, so much so that even like some Roman coins uh, for the area had palms imprinted on them as a symbol of this is where this is from. And so uh, the pride that is behind the palm tree itself and the palm is huge. And so when they come out with these palms, they're saying, you're the king, you're the king. You're... Even with the palms, they're declaring who this is. So they take these branches of palms and they go out. Uh, some actually called the palms, they sort of make a you, know, you sort of have to make a handle to hold it with, because I don't know if you've grabbed a palm frond before, but like the sides are pretty, uh, pretty sharp. Um, and so they make sort of a handle, um, and they actually call it a hosanna. <laughs> so they're actually waving their hosannas at him. And they cry out in kind, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. The first time we hear the phrase King of Israel uh, come up in the book of John is actually at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. In John 1, 47 to 51, it says this, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered, Before Philip called you, you were under a fig tree, and I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus said to him, 
Because I said to you, I saw you under a fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. Truly, you will see heaven open up and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. From chapter 1 to chapter 12, what we've seen is John define a picture of Jesus' ministry. And now it has come to a conclusion. And he's entering to do his last act. We start out seeing him declared as, you're the king of Israel. And we see seven amazing miracles happen, ending with Lazarus being raised from the dead. And now the crowds, all the crowds are out in Jerusalem, whether they understand it entirely or not, which most of them don't, uh, they're declaring, Hosanna, king of, the, king of Israel. You are the God who saves. The expectation for what Jesus is about to do, it cannot be higher. Verse 14 uh, of chapter 12, Jesus finds a young donkey and he sits on it as is written in Zechariah 9.9, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Now it's one thing to sort of know what the prophecy is. It's another thing to intentionally fulfill it. (laughs) There's no doubt in my mind, Jesus knows Zechariah 9.9, right? Like he's in Jerusalem. He's not like, it's not random that he's like, oh, there's a donkey. Let's just ride on this, you know? And it's not like uh, there's no reason behind it. There's great purpose in it. Why does the king come on a donkey? He comes because he's already won. He comes on the donkey because there's no fight to be had. If there were a fight to be had, he would have come on a horse or with chariots. There is no fight to be had over Jerusalem. He is one. It is his city. In fact, uh, we talked about the summit at Bible study on Thursday, but when you come into Jerusalem for the particular way we understand he came in, uh, you would reach the crest of a hill and then come down into Jerusalem. And and as you were doing that, you were supposed to, at the top of the hill, uh, disembark your conveyance. Get off of your, whatever you're riding on, of your horse, of your donkey, of, you know, of the the wagon, the train, whatever it is. You're supposed to get out and walk that animal into the city. So for Jesus to say, this is the time that the king of Israel will sit on his donkey and come into Jerusalem. What's emphatically being stated through this whole thing is that Jesus is saying, yes, I am the king of Israel. I accept the title completely. He does not, um, he does not rebuke the people that are saying, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. He does not uh, say, you know what, we, we were supposed to walk into Jerusalem uh, no, he, he mounts the donkey and, and rides it into Jerusalem saying, I am, yeah, I am the king of Israel. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb, raised him from the dead, continued to bear witness about him. And the reason the crowd had went to meet him was that they heard that he had done this sign. So the Pharisees say to one another, you see that we are gaining nothing. 
Look, the whole world has gone after him. Jesus is the king who has won the battle before he even shows up. So as we look at this story, and I know that's a lot of sort of explanation, what do we go with from this? A number of things I, that I found impressive about this. First, at the end of chapter 11, we see that many Jews had gone up before the Passover so that they could purify themselves for the Passover. Simultaneously, Jesus, before the Passover, is going to be anointed. He's already pure. He doesn't need to go for purification rites. He's, he's already pure. What he's doing is preparing to go in to Jerusalem as the anointed king. So the first thing I want us to go with is, is this. Who are we? <laughs> Who are we in this story? There are a lot of characters in this story. Are we Martha? Martha at the dinner is serving those around. Are we busy serving the Lord like Martha was when the, when the Lord is about to come? Are we Mary? When Jesus is there, is the only thing we can do just worship him and honor him? Those would be maybe positive examples of who we could be in the story. Are we Judas? Kind of have to ask the question of looking at all these characters. Are we Judas? Are we too often thinking about what is practical rather than what is to be obedient? Or even more so with Judas, are we too often looking for our own benefit and making it appear righteous? Are we the chief priests? Verses 9 to 11, they are so intent on protecting their own turf that they're willing to go ahead and kill Lazarus again <laughs> to do so. They have, they have so missed what the Lord is doing in Jesus. They're like, you know, it'd probably be better if we just knock off Lazarus because all these people are going to follow Jesus, so knock off Lazarus and you knock off Jesus. I mean, they're st starting to sound like a mob, right? Or the chief priests. Are we the crowd? Just impressed by the show of what's happening caught up in, in the fervor of it and not wanting to know what is truly happening. 
Or are we disciples? The disciples get a pretty bum rap for sort of missing it a lot of times. And even here, right? Uh, <laughs> his disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, they remembered these things had been written about him and had been, been done to him. A lot of times we'd learn like, well, those guys ran when it was, you know, time uh, to, to stand, right? And, and they get this bad rap. But you know what? They were also there at the end. And all of them, except for Jesus, return to faith and actually leadership in the church. They knew he was king. They so knew he was king that they're, they're even stirring about it days after his death, right? And you remember what they were doing when Jesus, had, Jesus himself had died and was in the tomb? They were mourning it and just trying to come to terms with, we were so sure that he was the king and now he's dead and they didn't know what was going on. Are we willing to trust the Lord when he allows Lazarus to stay dead a few more days? (laughs) Remember that a couple weeks ago? He let Lazarus stay in the grave a couple more days because he loved Martha and Mary. Not for some show, but because he loved them. He wanted them to know his power and know the Father's love for them. Who are we in this story? See, the king of Israel has come. He's come and and the victory is complete. In this instance, yes, he was anointed because the sacrifice that he was about to make was his own death. And in that death, he was completely victorious. And so we have to ask ourselves, what kind of king are we receiving? Are we receiving a king that's just going to impress us with things in our lives and make us comfortable? Or are we receiving a king that that calls us to serve him in spite of what appears around? Jesus is the king. And he is victorious before he's even arrived. And so uh, the challenge really to us is, is, is to be disciples. Those who invite the king into our lives and say, Lord, have your victory in me. Have your way in me. You are the God who saves And I accept you as king of my life.
Let's receive this king into our hearts and let us let him be victorious in every circumstance we're facing. There are relationships that we each have that, are, that aren't easy. Are, are we letting Jesus be king in that? There are uh, work circumstances for each of us, right? That we don't see past. Big mountains that is like, Lord, you're going to have to move something here. Are we receiving Jesus in that or, or are we trying to manufacture it for our own? The challenge for us today is to receive Jesus, the King who is victorious, not to protect our turf, not to make a way for ourselves, but to worship Him, to serve Him, to trust that even if He's dead three days, He's still got a plan. I mean, you got to be thinking that after they saw Lazarus die, and be dead for a few days, four days. They're still sort of hanging on in that room, waiting to see, is Jesus done? We were sure he was king, but he's in the grave, so who's going to raise, like, can you think of the thoughts that are just flooding through their minds, and oh, the joy when he comes and says, I'm here. I am who I said I was, and now I've called you to be my disciples. I've called you to go now and do the things that I have done. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The call on our lives is simply that. To come into this world in the name of the Lord. Now, because of what Christ has done, we are his ambassadors. We are those that, that carry the foundation of love into this life, into all those that are around. I love that song we finished with, Build My Life. I mean, it's exactly what we're called to. We're called to take the love that God has placed in us and share it with those all around us. And the King is victorious. When we don't have the words to say, he gives the words to say. When we don't have the means to provide, he's the one that provides. What kind of king are we receiving? We're receiving a king that has already conquered. A king who has completed it, who has finished it, who is victorious before the battle is even fought. Let's pray. God, we're so grateful for what you've done in Jesus. God, the manner in which you came maybe it's obvious that it's perfect, but it's perfect. God, we pray that in our lives, we, in the same way 
will lay ourselves down just as you did. That those around us would know the foundation of love that you have built in Jesus. Lord, help us this day and every day to proclaim you as our King. It's in his name we pray. Amen.